Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Sean. I'm a pastoral resident here. Uh, if you're new, I'm, I'm not the normal guy who will uh, be up here. Our uh, lead pastor, teaching pastor, Frank, he is on a little vacay with the family. Um, I don't know exactly what they're doing. Uh, most likely probably working out in this moment. Um, we're watching Seinfeld. Yeah, ridiculous. Um, so um, I, I'm really excited. I hope you guys had a good holiday um, uh, Christmas. Um, I, I wanted to kind of tell you a story how mine started. I don't know how many of you guys had the opportunity to come to the Christmas Eve service, but Stephanie, the administrator for Redemption Arcadia, had asked Josh Prather and I to light the candles. So there's candles, obviously, you can see that go around those little tiny candles um, for the 5 o'clock and for the 9. And she had asked me if I would light them for the 5 o'clock. I'm like, sure, no problem. I'll get there early um, and light them up and we'll be good. So I had a buddy, John, uh, who, who was at the first service. I asked if he can come help me, so he'll pick me up and then uh, Candace and the boys would just meet me here. So we got here at four o'clock. We're like, let's do this. Now, I don't know if you know a lot about architecture and because I don't. Um, so there's, there's these wood beams that go <laughs> along the side here, um, which are really helpful um, because um, we were told to, when we get up there to, well, I was told to, when I get up there to step on these wood beams. <laughs> totally makes sense. Well, um, so I get up there and I, I forgot to relay that information to John. And so I get up there and I'm like, hey, John, make sure you... <laughs> And so he stepped right through. There's a hole right here. Um, totally John's fault. Um, <laughs> ridiculous. Anyway, um, so that was kind of like the start for Christmas. I'm like, oh, this is going to be a rough Christmas. Um, anyway, so I, I'm excited. I, I uh, you know, I, I don't obviously get a, a, that many opportunities to, to preach. And so I want to do this uh, very quickly. I want to kind of throw out a pre-warning to you. So here is how God has wired me, kind of my deal, my MO. Um, when I find something that I'm, I'm pretty passionate about, I don't know what it is um, about me, but I just get like, like, I, like there's a part of me that just wants to like start breaking things. You know what I mean? Like I'm like the kind of guy who's like just gets super excited and I just want to yell um, <clears throat> really bad. And there's support, you know, maybe God's wired you a little differently. I know Josh Prather, like he kind of gets excited, you know, we're, you know, Let's, let's say, let's go back some years and the Cardinals about to win the Super Bowl. I'm like about to break the TV and Josh is like, that's pretty cool, man. You know what I mean? He's just way more chill. Um, so I, I'm definitely a little more boisterous in my approach to things when I get passionate, especially about what we're going to be talking about today. And so that's kind of my pre-warning because I want to say this. He, here's the goal today. And, and I'll be, I'll put the cart before the horse and just, just make this um, upfront and straightforward here. My goal is simple today. I, I don't plan to to, to get crazy, I, I want to really focus in and hone in on this one idea. My goal is to stir up um, something deep, a passionate, intimate response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. My, my, my goal is um, for some of us who, who think that we can continue to attend church on Sunday morning and, and, and see him once a week to know that there's something more there, that he wants to be more than just Facebook friends, and he wants to be known um, deeply and intimately, not just known about. And if you can see that, and, and, and hopefully I relay that in some of the passion, and um, we're going to go into uh, Ezekiel 16. And if you don't have a, a church background, you don't know a lot about the Bible, and like, like I was for, for a long time, all I knew about Ezekiel was like, he, you know, he made bread that they sell at Whole Foods. Uh, and so, uh, honestly, the, the, the truth is, um, th this is maybe a little odd. So i got to give us some background and, and kind of to walk through some um, stuff that needs to, to take place. And I, what, to do that, I want, I want to go big picture, okay? And so here's all I want to do. I, I want us to see who we are, okay? Real simple. See who we are, who God is, and our response to that. And our response is, is critical. 
um, for us to see it, because I think some of us have responded improperly. Uh, maybe it's our church background or, or whatever it is, but for us to respond uh, properly is, is of the uttermost importance. And so here is the background. I'll, I'll go right into it. Here's the big picture. No matter your worldview, whatever it is, here's the true story of the world. When God created everything, okay, he created everything. He created all the peoples of the world. He, for whatever reason he wanted to, out of his love, decides to hone in on a certain people group. And he picks this people, and this is what he says, you will be my people. I'm going to be your God, and you are going to be my people. I know there's this people, and I know there's this people, but I choose you. And so we know this people as Israel, the Jews at this time. And so in the Old Testament, what we find is God choosing these people and them walking out their relationship with him over and over and over. Now, now here's the thing about them. Constantly, they continue to fail. Just cannot get it right. We're not like talking, can't get it right, miss a, a Sunday morning service. We're like, can't get it right. Moses comes off the mountain and they're worshiping like a gold calf, can't get it right. They just cannot get this thing right. And so what God does, a little Old Testament 101 for us, um, what God does is he begins to take certain men, what we'll call prophets, he calls them prophets, and he, has, he sends them to this people, okay? And it's real simple. Maybe some of you guys have heard uh, names like Isaiah or Jeremiah. He takes these people and he says, I want you to go tell them how I feel. I want you to tell them what, to stop doing this or start doing this, whatever it is. And he begins to relay messages through these prophets. One of those prophets is Ezekiel. Now, God comes to Ezekiel and he says, hey, here's what I want you to do. I, I don't want you just to know and, and relay this information. I want you to feel, I want you to experience what I'm going through here. And so he begins to uh, do things to Ezekiel that he hasn't done with other prophets. Um, uh, things like he at, at one point has Ezekiel lay on his side and, and, and then flips him over and say, lay here for 30 days. And he has him cook food over, over poop. I mean, literally. And you're like, what's going on in this book right now? And, and it's really bizarre. And he has him make a little mini model of, of Jerusalem. And, and like, this is what's going to happen put a brick here and and so he's like i'm trying to show you what's going to happen and he tells him he says listen i want my name to go to the entire world okay but more than anything i want you ezekiel to go to my people so yes i will have my name renowned all throughout the world but all i want you to focus in is uh, is on is my people and so that's what ezekiel does over and over he continues to to relay um what israel can uh, what israel is doing and how they continue to fight against god now, now here's the thing we get to Ezekiel chapter 16, which has become my favorite chapter in the entire Bible. In my opinion, I believe it sums up, it consummates the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation. You will find it all in here. It's a phenomenal chapter. And in this chapter, we get, okay, and hear me, this is what I mean. I want to stir up intimacy here. We get God's love story with his people. Fr from the beginning of how he found them and how they continue to work with him we get his love story with his people and so we're going to go through this um and and, and i want to kind of throw a disclaimer on here um this chapter is extremely graphic okay um the imagery that that ezekiel provides here is um is rough at times and i'm not doing it for all effect so you can be like whoa uh, we're simply doing it so we can and hear this just get into the story with me okay so we can just dive in and see what's happening. God does this for a reason. The story's intense. And so uh, this is how it starts off. God comes to Ezekiel and says, hey, Ezekiel, tell them their abominations. I want you to go to Jerusalem, and I want you to tell them their abominations. Tell them uh, what they're doing wrong. 
And then he says, you want to know about your birth people? This is how it starts. And so we get our story, and we're going to pick it up from verse 4 of chapter 16 in Ezekiel. And this is how it starts. And as for your birth, on the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to cleanse you, nor rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling clothes. No, I pitied you to do any of these things for you or to you out of compassion for you. But you were cast out on the open field, for you, abhor, you were abhorred on the day that you were born. And so uh, let, let, let's say in the story, and here's the imagery. I, I need you to picture a baby. I need you to picture this baby, and it's brand new, right out of the womb. It's still covered in blood. It, its cord hasn't been cut, and, his pa- and, and, and the baby's parents hate it. And so they take this baby, and, and using abortive language, they throw it in a field to die. And so this baby is, is not wrapped up and put under a heat lamp at Scottsdale North. It's left to die. And so we, we get this imagery, as graphic as it is, here is this baby left to die. No one cares about it. No one's taking care of it. And then we pick up and, and we say, okay, that's how I found you. And so um, that, that's where we pick up from God in verse 6. And when I passed by you and saw you wallowing, wallowing in your blood, I said to you in your blood, live. I said to you in your blood, live. I made you flourish like a plant of the field, and you grew up and became tall and arrived at full adornment. Your breasts were formed and your hair had grown, yet you were naked and bare. And this is what God says. I came across you and you were a baby. Your your parents didn't want you. You were bloody and you weren't going to make it. That this child is, is, is tiny. It's not even a toddler. It's not six or seven or, or 13 or 14. It's not going to get Katniss and kill a deer and start feeding itself. It's, de- it's there. It's done. And so here's this baby. It, it's going to die unless someone steps in. And God comes in and says, I found you and I, I had you live. I said live. And so this baby lives. And he's, not only did I have you live, not only did I make you live, but more than that, I had you grow. And he says, I had you flourish like a plant in that field. So now we find out it's not just a baby. We find out that this is a baby girl. And it's not just a baby girl at this point. It's it's a woman. So so here's this woman's story. And there she is. She was a baby that was going to die. And and God gave her life and had her grow. And there she is. I mean, fully formed, hair grown there. And she's still naked and bare. And so God continues to intercede and and step in. And this is what it says in verse 8. And when I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age of love. And I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God. And you became mine. So God doesn't just see this baby and give it life and have it raised up. But then then he takes it upon himself to clothe this, this woman now at this point, and not only just clothe it, but say, listen to me, you're not just any baby that's rejected at this point. Now I need to declare something. I, God, am making a vow to you, my people, that you are mine. And so in the story, this man marries this woman. And he says, I'm going to make a covenant with you, and I'm not going anywhere. And so here it is, the story from a baby that was left to die, to grown up, to now clothed, to now being married to the creator of the universe. What an exchange. And so we, we continue on because God doesn't stop there. Verse 9, then I bathed you with water and washed off your blood from you and anointed you with oil. I clothed you and also embroid, um, with embroidered cloth and shod, your, uh, shod you with fine leather. I wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk. And I adored you with ornaments and put bracelets on your wrists and a chain on your neck. 
And I put a ring on your nose and earrings in your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were adored with gold and silver and your clothing uh, and your clothing was of fine linen and silk and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour and honey and oil. You grew exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty. And your renown went forth among the nations because of your beauty, for it was perfect through the splendor that I had bestowed on you, declares the Lord God. So not only in the story, be in the story with me, does God find this baby that's left to die? Not only does he give it life, not only does he eventually make her and clothe her as he has her grow, not only does he go into covenant with her, then at this moment he then says, listen, but we're not done, and he gives her jewelry and a Gucci bag, and he takes care of her, and you will have nice things, and I'm going to feed you and he takes her and he's and this is what's crazy in this moment this baby goes from absolutely abhorred to over and over if you notice in that text to absolutely adored this is crazy for no reason he chooses this woman to live but 15 but you trusted in your beauty and you played the whore because of your renown and lavished your whorings on any passerby. Your beauty became his. You took some of your garments and made for yourself colorful shrines on them playing the whore. The light that has never been seen nor shall ever be. You also took your beautiful jewels of my gold and my silver, which I had given you and made for yourself images of men and with them played the whore. And you took your embroidered garments to cover them and set my oil and incense before them. Also my bread that I had given you. I fed you with fine flour and oil and honey. You set before them for a pleasing aroma. And so it was, declares the Lord God. So this woman, who was a baby and had no chance of anything. God comes along and, and, and has this baby live grows this baby, clothes this baby, goes into covenant with this baby, gives this baby, now a woman, fine things, and now here's this woman who has all these nice things and has the food to eat and is well taken care of. And she takes everything that God gives to her and she gives it away. Not in the sense of you can have this, but in a whoring fashion as if he's worthless. Now, I, I'm not trying to come at you with this fire and brimstone uh, type of get right or be left type of attitude. I'm trying to come at you uh, uh, with this, this, what I believe is in this text, this idea to understand our depravity, to see that at, in the, at the end of the day, God absolutely chose and picked this baby to live and love this baby. And, and hear me, hear me. We have read 19 verses up to this point. 19 verses for the next 38 verses. We only read a third of it, okay? For the next 38 eight verses 38 verses so we're half at this point okay here we are half the next 38 of them over and over and over melee after melee god continues to say this is what you're doing why are you doing this why do you continue to do this at one point he stops and says how sick is your heart you're not even like a prostitute at least prostitutes get something for what they give away and he goes over and over, and, and I want to stop and say this. What a terrible exchange to exchange the creator of the universe for temporal, non-fulfilling things. What an awful exchange this woman makes. And, and maybe, just maybe, we can relate to that for a second, can't we? 
I mean, for some of us, maybe there's some of you sitting in this room right now who believe that at the end of the day, this is going to bring you happiness. That if you had this guy to date, if you had that girl to date, if you made this certain amount of money, then it would bring you happiness. The problem is you weren't created that way. You know, um, Ecclesiastes 3.11 says eternity is stored up in your heart. So here is God creating you, fashioning you, and as you're on the way out the door, he says, whoa, 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 bam, eternity. Now what? I mean, everything I try to fill, eternity is never ending. So you're going to continue to shove things in there, and it's never going to stop. You want to know why? Because it was never meant to fill that hole. What a terrible exchange. Uh, Tim Chester in his book, uh, You Can Change, uh, has a phenomenal quote, and, and I want to read it to you real quick. It says this, humanity's problem is futile thinking, darkened understanding, and ignorant hearts. This is the cause of indulgence, impurity, and lust. We sin because we believe that we are better off without God, that his rule is oppressive, and that we will be free without him, that sin offers more than God does. It's a terrible exchange. So here we have this woman in this story who exchanges everything that God is, what he's given uh, to her for herself, for pleasure, for uh, on other people, whatever it is, flesh it out however you want. And then God does something awesome. And so we get to our text that Eugene read, Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 59. For thus says the Lord God, I will deal with you as you have done. You have despised the oath in breaking the covenant. Yet I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth, and I will establish for you an everlasting covenant. Then you will remember your ways and be be ashamed when you take your sisters, both your elder and your younger, and I will give them to you as daughters, but not on account of the covenant with you. I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall know that I am the Lord, that you may remember and be confounded, and never, um, never open your mouth again because of your shame. When I atone for you, all that you have done declares the Lord God. So God says, listen, <laughs> here's the thing, man. I know what you've done, but I never loved you for those things in the first place. I found you a dead, bloody baby. And you think now you can escape? It's my co- it was my choice to love you. It was never on you. So, so today is um, my, my uh, third son, my, first, my second son, he's three years old, uh, Titus. He's our youngest son. He turns three years old today. And um, uh, it's a funny thing about Titus because um, Corbin, who is five, um, is, is five, right? So he can jump off the sofa and climb these things. Well, Titus, who's been one and two up to this point, thinks that he's also five. And so where Titus climbs up onto, or Corbin climbs up onto the arm of the couch and jumps off, Titus does like a belly flop. And um, where Corbin, Rhino from Spider-Man, anyone? Okay, well, if you have kids, you'll know. So well, Corbin does like a Rhino thing, like, grr, grr, and he's like running as fast as he can, but, but he's looking around where he's going. Titus, well, he's been, he's two, so, so now three. So he's running, and he doesn't look where he's going, and he runs right into the wall. Um, and here's the thing, I don't know if, you've, if those of you have had kids, I just feel like I'm constantly like on suicide watch. Like, why are you always trying to kill yourself? Um, like I found a quarter, like he had a quarter in his mouth. I'm like, where did you get, why is that in your mouth? What would, a piece of metal, I'm going to put it in my mouth. Here's the thing about Titus. He's 10 times more stubborn headed than his older brother. Uh, Corbin is much more um, mellow. He's much more emotional. Um, where Titus is like, he has this thing where we have to say no neck because when he gets really excited, he puts your, his hands around your neck. 
I'm not making that up. Okay, I promise you. He's like, I'm like, okay, we need to stop that. Um, so, so, so he's just kind of like this. And because of his stubbornness, he, he, it's taking him a little longer to, to learn some things. And so in the Myers house, we love ourselves some smoothies. So we'll make smoothies, you know, a couple times a week. And uh, we'll, we'll make our smoothie. And we'll make the boys a little cup of smoothie. And we'll put it under the table or a chair. And we'll say, now, now Titus is walking around constantly with six or seven toys, little, like a hoarder. And he's walking around. And, and um, I say, okay, Ty, here's your smoothie. But you need to put down your toys, um, pick up the smoothie with two hands, then drink it, then put your smoothie down. Then you can pick your toys back up. Not even 60 seconds later, it, smoothie hits the ground uh, everywhere, right? And I'm like, you just, you're in that moment, you're like, I just want to throw him across the room, but you'd, you'd go to jail and it would be bad. Um, so you're like, Titus, I told you with two hands. And he's like, sorry. I'm like, get out of my face. Um, so so he, here's the thing, though. Let me tell you how the conversation never goes in the Myers household with Candace and I. We never look at Titus and say, man, I can't wait till he gets it right. When he gets it right, we're really going to love him. That, that conversation never happens. We are not in love with a future version of Titus. Do you understand? Do, do you get that, that we're not looking at Titus and saying, man, when you get older, when you get it right, when you have your own kids, then we're finally going to love you. How silly is that thought? Yet for some of us, we intrinsic, intrinsically kind of, kind of wallow in it, don't we? For some of us, we, we kind of set on that, and, and we believe somehow, in some way, that God will love a future version of us. If we can just get it right, but what we get from this story is something unbelievably um, profound and should be amazing news for every single person in this room. That God is not in love with a future version of you. That in this moment, it was not this woman's deeds. It was not what she did. It is not how she acted. It was not her not watching Harry Potter. It was not her not saying cuss words. It was not her drinking beer. It was not attending church 52 weeks a year. It was none of that. It was him the whole time. This should be unbelievable good news for some of us. We sit out there today or we come to church every week feeling like we're not good enough. Then you're in the perfect place. Look around. None of us are. We constantly fall short, and this is great news because his covenant was based on his actions and not ours. And so the intertwining story of Ezekiel finds its way going through, and he says, not only am I going to keep my covenant, but I'm going to take this and I'm going to give you an everlasting covenant. So God says, listen, we're going to be together forever, no matter what you do. Now, obviously, I don't want to delve into universalism because here's the truth. There will be a day where you'll stand before God and some people will spend eternity in hell. Do you want to walk in that truth or not? But all we need to revel in is this idea in this moment that there is unbelievable amounts of love that God just throws at us. And so here we have this um, kind of conundrum because in this moment, um, God says, I'm going to spend eternity with you, but God in no way is going to step back from his holiness. So we're going to be together. The thing is, um, you need to be sinless. You need to be perfect. I'm not breaking my covenant with you. So, so what we see is a dilemma. Uh, God, obviously, is God. And so here's what God does. I need to absolutely be merciful. I, I, I'm going to be merciful because I am, at my nature, merciful. But at the same time, I'm just. And everyone knows what that looks like. Everyone feels that. Kenneth and I were at Fry's a couple weeks ago, and someone was parked, like, in front of the grocery store, okay? Like, they're parked in front of the grocery store. No one's there. Now, I understand if you're sitting in your car, like waiting for your wife or husband to get out, but the car was just parked there. And I'm like, oh, I wish, I would, 
you just, in that moment, I was hoping a cop would come or like I would like slash the tires or something. I don't know what I, but I just wanted like this person to suffer. I'm like, I hope their car breaks down. Uh, totally like, like an old lady walks. Uh, anyway, sorry. Um, so so here, here's the truth. There's an innate uh, uh, sense of justice within us. So we get mercy and we get justice. The problem is how does God reconcile these things? And this is what God does. He says, I'm going to supply, I'm going to provide an everlasting covenant. And here's how I'm going to do it. It's not even going to be based on what you do because it's apparent you have failed and you will continue to fail. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to send my son to pay for what you have done and continue this covenant. And I'm going to love him or love you through him. So now in this moment, check this out. What a crazy re-exchange. God gives us life. We take this life and do what we want with it. And then God says, okay, I'm going to take this sin, profound theology. I'm going to take this sin. I'm going to become sin. And I'm going to use death, which you got by choosing sin, to conquer death. And so in this moment, he gives you an everlasting covenant. He says in this, this phenomenal section of scripture, you have failed, but my son is going to succeed on your behalf. And now, now check this out. God looks down on us and he sees Jesus. <laughs> he sees Jesus. I'm a father. I, and I, and I, I think I've come to really grow fond of a lot of you, but the truth is I wouldn't give my son for anyone. That's a lot of love. And that's a ridiculous amount of love. If this was like an earthly relationship, you'd be like, that's, and I mean this in the most genuine way, that's stupid amounts of love. That's like, that is, why would you continue to be with this person? Man. And so what we get and what we know to be true here is that it was not based on us. It was not based on this woman. Uh, there's a great quote by uh, Jerry Bridges. He says this, our worst days are never so bad that we are beyond the reach of God's grace. And your best days are never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. Uh, John Gerstner, he says this, he's a theologian, he says, the thing that really separates us from God is not so much our sin, but our damnable good works. For us to understand and get that it was not based on us, because check this out, they tried that. The people of Israel, that bride, that symbol in that moment, continue to try and push and, and try to do things for God. The thing is, there's a point in Hosea, chapter 2, where God says, you're just doing things. Like, you're just going to church. And, and what you don't get, and he says it perfectly in Hosea, chapter 2, verse 16. He says, Man, I don't want to be your master. There's going to be a day where you no longer call me that. You're no longer going to call me master, but you're going to call me husband. You, you sense that, like, he, he, he desires to be near and draw close to us. And he desires for us to draw close to him. And, and, and that's what I, I pray and hope to stir up. So, so we get this picture of how he reconciles us. But, but man, what's our response to that? And that's where it gets tricky. Because some of us have responded by good works. Some of us respond with, with license, thinking that we can do whatever we want. Um, the answer is found in Luke uh, chapter 7. So if you can turn there. Um, the background for this is, is, is pretty easy. Um, Jesus is at this moment, before he uh, eventually goes to the cross, he is still walking the earth, and he is invited to um, a house uh, by a, a, a Pharisee. And he's invited to this Pharisee's house, and he walks in, and there's all these people in this house, okay? And he takes his place at the table, and here's what happens. This woman walks in, and, and here's what's crazy, the poetic nature of Scripture. All we know about this woman, ironic, all we know about this woman is she is a sinful woman. 
She's renowned for sin in this, in this city, okay? That's all we know. So, so we get to, in some ways, kind of pull from that Exodus idea of like, okay, well, this, this is a sin. So here's this woman. She walks in amongst all these Pharisees, okay? And she falls to Jesus' feet, and she begins to cry. And she pours uh, oil on his feet, and she begins to wash his feet with her te- uh, tears and dry them with her hair. And so, so we get this, and so we're going to pick it up um, at verse uh, 41, because Jesus, in verse 40, looks to Simon, okay? Because at this moment, all the Pharisees are looking. Hear this. All the Pharisees are looking at this woman saying, if that guy was a prophet, he would know who's touching him right now because she's sinful. Maybe the God of the universe allows such people to touch him. Uh, Verse 41, talking to Simon, he says this, a certain moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has, not, uh, she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I'd come in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little, loves little. There's a a story, I don't know if you read it, um, but uh, it was about these sheep in Iceland. And there's this huge ice storm, and and what had happened was uh, this ice storm came in with the shepherd out with his sheep, and uh, he he didn't know what to do, and so he obviously had to backtrack a lot of the sheep were lost, but here's what's crazy. 19 days later, okay, uh, he, as, as a shepherd, gets some of his pals together, and they begin to go out and look for whatever sheep they can find. And so they make their way. It's 19, I mean, almost three weeks later, um, they go, and they have the dog searching, and they find this sheep cut, buried under snow, still alive. And so at this moment, they begin to dig this sheep out, and here's what's crazy. After 19 days of being under snow, This shepherd goes after the sheep and begins to pull the sheep out of the hole. But what's crazy about the video is this sheep keeps fighting away from the shepherd to get back in the hole. Continues to fight, saying, I, whatever, I don't know what, I don't know how sheep talks, okay? Sheep. Um, So the sheep in this moment fights his way, trying to get back in the hole. And it's a perfect picture of exactly what's going on and how this thing plays out. Not only does Jesus make his way out to come get us, not only were we buried under a certain amount of otherwise death, but as Jesus is pulling us out of this hole, we fight him the whole way. And I don't think that, when I say that, I don't think, I don't mean we're fighting him in the sense that we're doing our own thing. Here's what I mean. Some of us continue over and over to try to still save ourselves. We think that I, I can fix this. I, I can do this. And you can't. And so just like that shepherd, he pulls us in every moment fighting, pulls that sheep out of the snow just to save it. And here's the profound thing I said in the beginning. I want to find something, the one thing that can, should, and does drive us to God. So, so, so listen, it's not guilt. G- guilt is not what should be driving you to the cross, okay? Let me tell you what should be driving you to the cross. I'll, I'll repeat what Jesus said. 
Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loves much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. So this is simple. Recognize, fully embrace the idea that not only can you not save yourself, but, but, but hear this, please hear this. You're not good enough and you'll never will be. Please stop. Just stop. You're never going to be good enough. You're going to miss church sometimes. Okay? It's going to happen. And God doesn't look down and be like, oh, I was going to talk to you today. That doesn't happen. And so just be in this moment and say, he who's forgiven much loves much. To recognize you've been forgiven insane amounts. And that is the covenant that finds its way through the Old Testament. To the, that is the love that finds its way through the Old Testament to the New Testament. And that is what ultimately should push us towards the cross. It's love. Luke Simmons, and I'll close with this. Luke Simmons, he's the pastor at Gateway, uh, the lead pastor and teaching pastor at Gateway. Uh, he says it like this, and I, I think it's a perfect way to say it. The gospel is so counterintuitive to our normal way of operating that it needs to be continually re discovered and i think that's a great way to say it here's why because you'll hear this and in a moment in a little bit we'll take communion and we'll walk and we're going to do our best to remember that it's the blood of jesus that saves me it's the blood of jesus that sanctifies me it's the blood of jesus that makes me right before god i stand before god not because of what i do i stand before god because what he has done and i got to remember this the problem is we live in a society where it's uh, climb the corporate ladder do what you can get on top do, 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 and all these things. And it's so counterintuitive into the way we operate, into the way we think. And, and ultimately, we find, as, as Luther would say, that, that legalism is the default of our heart. That we always come back to this idea of, I, I can't do that. And God does not want to be your master. He wants to be your husband. He wants to be loved, not uh, begrudgingly submitted to. That would be my prayer, that you would understand and feel the weight of the gospel. And that's why it's good news. If you can first understand that you could never save yourself, and secondly understand that he saves you, he saves you, he saves you, then for a moment maybe we'll get it. And like Luke would say, that we would constantly rediscover it. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we thank you. You are uh, awesome. You are uh, so unbelievably good to us. Holy Spirit, I, I would pray even now that you would remind us of what the gospel is and what it has done. God, we know, and right now we want to take a moment and we want to repent. Say, God, we have played the whore. God, we thank you that you've been waiting there like a loving husband this whole time waiting for our return. We've been, for some of us, the prodigal. So we, we throw ourselves into your arms knowing that at the end of the day, it's your grace, it's your love that saves us. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you for the cross. Father, I pray that as we leave here today, that we'd constantly rediscover that idea, that we'd constantly remember that idea. We thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.